happy faces are gonna line the hallways. Those whose lives have been redeemed and broken homes that he has mended. Those from prison he set free. Little children and the aged hand in hand stand all alone. And those who were crippled, broken and ruined, now clad in garments white as snow. The King is coming, the King is coming. I just heard the trumpet sounding, and now His face I see. The chariots rumble, I can see the marching throng, and the flurry of God's trumpets spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding, heaven's grand stands all in place, heaven's choir is now assembled. Hello, everyone. I'm Chaplain John McTernan, and this is our Saturday night uh, outpouring of the Holy Spirit night. And I'm glad that you're here, and I'm glad that I'm here. So let me go over and see who is here with me. Okay, I have uh, Sister Sharon here. Hello, Sister Sharon. Well, hello, Chaplain John. Are you sound rather happy tonight? Yeah, I am. Yeah. How were you? How was the show last night? Oh, it was, it was awesome. That's all I can say. It was very, uh, very good. Uh, Brother Steve came and spent some time with us and, um, 
he was giving us a message about Jeremiah uh, chapter 16, verses 15 and 16 that uh, we talked about. And uh, so we just we had a really good uh, show last night. Okay. All right. And uh, Sister Kathy, do you back that up, Sister Kathy? Were you there? Yes, I do. I can testify that was all true. Okay. Two or three <laughs> witnesses we need here. <laughs> That's it. Uh, Sister Sharon, how are you doing physically? Oh, well, I'm honestly, I'm feeling uh, quite okay right now. Good. You know, so Good. I'm just, uh, just happy that the uh, pain's at kind of like a, I would say a moderate minimum, and uh, I'm keeping taking the uh, pills that I got the I can't even think of the name. <laughs> the ones that your wife takes, that Nancy takes too. Oh. And um, yeah. They really seem to be hoping. They really are. Oh, okay. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. And then Rita is here. Hello, Rita. Hello, Captain John. Hello, everyone. All right. I'm glad Sister Rita is here okay. with us. And then uh, this should be. Gigi and Randy? Yes, both of us are here. Okay. And how's everything with you two? We're okay. We're okay. We're awake. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, what I've, um, on Saturday night, um, I'd like to get, um, well, we won't always want to have prayer. Uh, but as I mentioned, I wanted to find some good, um, like videos about uh, the great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, great evangelists, things like that. Uh, anywhere, not limited to the United States, but anywhere. And of course, I did find one that I really want to look at too is the Welsh revival of 18 in 1904, I think it was. Uh, so I, I have that one lined up. But tonight, I have two for uh, the Great Awakening. And one of them in particular gives a lot of good background. I mean, I was, uh, I, I knew in general uh, the condition of the church in 18, 1730s and 40s there. But this one here uh, went into some nice explanations about what had happened. And then, uh, so I'm going to show that. And then there's one, and that's a, they're each about a half hour. And the other one is about George Whitfield, and he. Uh, there was two that were known for the great outpouring, and one was Jonathan Edwards, uh, and his sermon, "Sinners on the Hands of an Angry God," ignited, sort of like a smoldering fire, I guess, because Whitfield was here in the United States. And he was uh, really starting to fire things up for the Lord here. And then this sermon came, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And then it was a big explosion uh, throughout the country. Uh, and Whitfield was more, um, for lack of a better word, charismatic. So you, a after the, the uh, explosion there with Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, Jonathan Edwards was still active and still 
I mean, really preaching in fire. But Whitfield was more bigger crowds um, out in uh, everywhere. Countryside cities, Philadelphia became like the, the center of his uh, ministry. So I want you to see it. Uh, to me, and as I watched them, they were um, very, very good. At least I thought they were very good and got a lot of knowledge from it. Oh, 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 today at my Shalom, I shared what's going on in uh, Kenya and uh, East Africa. You know, as you know, um, that brochure, in fact, let me show it to you in case you haven't seen it. It's titled The Final Battle Over Jerusalem and the Second Coming of Jesus Christ. And you can go to, uh, if you'd like, uh, what I do is I put five in a, in a legal size envelope and I send it if, if, if you want it, just a couple. And you could email me at mct911 at aol.com and you'll get the, uh, I'll send you to them. Or you can go to, this is real easy to remember. MCT brochures.com. You scroll down, and the first thing you'll see there is the brochure, and it's in the PDF, so you can print it out if you'd like. And uh, before I forget, Sister Kathy, thanks. I got your card. Thank you. And Nancy, thank you. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to forget that. All right. Um, oh, so I gave testimony at church, and I didn't realize how many, well, not a whole bunch of people came up afterwards, but people did come up and spoke to me. And all of them were edified, and they were basically the same thing. They, they, were, they were kind of depressed by the state of the world and the lack of... Um, I'm going to say maybe power in the church. So uh, they were really, really edified about what's happening in East Africa. So I, each one, I said, it can happen here too. It can, hap it can happen here. God's no respecter of persons. So it did, um, I think it did help edify the people in the church to think that there's a, I mean, a really significant move of the Lord taking place now in um, East and Central Africa. And I'll keep everybody posted on it as it, uh, as it unveils. And I'll be going on next, well, I won't be going, I'll be speaking next weekend at a conference. 500 pastors are going to be there. They're all fired up. Um, we see uh, souls saved already from the brochure. Uh, Muslims, uh, Confessing Christ after reading it. Uh, a whole college there, the Ugandan Bible Baptist University is fired up over it. Pastor Zephaniah is fired up in, in, in Nairobi. And the reports are coming back of um, souls reading it and right on the spot confessing Christ as their Savior, including Muslims. So does that light your fire, Sister Kathy? I'm telling you what, if you, uh, it, yeah, <laughs> that is awesome. 
And remember all the prayer here behind it. I mean, we've got at least, well, more, more than a decade of prayer. And, Amen. Uh, praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we're 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 really seeing it. This is this is. I'm going by what they're telling me, not by what um. I can't. I'm I'm going by what Pastor Zephaniah is telling me. I have no reason to doubt him. From all the years I worked with him, he's always been solid. This is huge. This is huge. I mean, they're looking for this brochure. It's a sermon in it, um, igniting uh, fires, spiritual fires, all throughout East Africa, but they see already what's happening. And plus, it's given them ammunition to deal directly with Islam. And the prayer is the mosques are closing because there's no one in it. They've all come to Christ, and imams will be coming to Christ, too. So that's a nice vision, Sister Kathy. It is awesome, Chaplain John, and it's the result of not growing weary and well-doing and pressing on to the mark and keeping the faith and running the race. And yes, sir, you held fast. Amen. 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 So exciting things. I want everybody to, uh, as I get this information coming in, I will, um, I'll keep you right on the cutting edge. And I'm going to start on my blog, um, a update on what's going on so people can follow it in the blog. I'm going to put the brochure on it, the, uh, who was Israel's Messiah on it, uh, a lot of things, uh, pictures as they come in and all. Um, maybe if we can see Muslims and things like that. So I want to keep a running update on the blog about uh, what's going on. All right. With that, let me get over to, um, yeah, okay. I'm there. And the first one is the Great Awakening. All right. Yeah, yeah. It came over too easy, folks. This is too easy. I better keep my mouth shut on that one. Okay. It's the Great Awakening, Spiritual Revival in uh, Colonial America. And like I said, I I really was the setting of the Great Awakening. And that's what every tremendous move of the Holy Spirit that hit America, there was always the same type of spiritual atmosphere going on. And this, it was, uh, as I listened to or watched it, it was the same as I had known with McCready in the second great awakening in 1800. This, this was the same type of atmosphere, the same spiritual background. All right. So let's get this over here. The religious wars were over too. With the glorious revolution of 1688, a sense of peace settled on England and her American colonies. Political peace and religious peace. Catholicism was virtually banished. Dissenter or nonconformist groups like Presbyterians and Puritans were accommodated. The Anglican Church, the Church of England was supreme and peace reigned in the English world.
Whether we have not in a great measure forgot our errand into the wilderness is a solemn and serious inquiry. You have solemnly professed before God, angels, and men that the cause of your leaving your country and transporting yourselves over the vast ocean into this howling wilderness was your liberty to walk in the faith of the gospel and your enjoyment of the pure worship of God. Then had the church's rest, walking in the fear of the Lord. While many American colonists came to America for other reasons, the pilgrims, like the later Puritans, came for religious freedom. The first Thanksgiving was celebrated in 1621, and God was praised for his provision of life and harvest. Over 100 years passed, and these feasts continued, but the spirit of Thanksgiving grew cold. The cares and concerns of a new land, a newfound prosperity, even the religious peace of the day, led America into a deep spiritual decline. New England, like old England, fell into a religious sleep. Puritanism is dead. Uh, the, the Puritan zeal for building God's kingdom on earth had turned into a, a zealous pursuit of earthly riches. When you think of the best seller in the 1600s being the day of doom, and the bestseller in the 1700s, Benjamin Franklin's Way to Wealth, you can see that people are much more interested in worldly success than in preparing for the future, as Michael Wigglesworth, who wrote Day of Doom, for example, would have wanted. With the coming of material prosperity, unfortunately, almost always, there's a turning away from, from the Lord. Israel gave powerful manifestation of that in its history. By the time we get to the end of the century, people are already losing a sense of the fervency that had characterized the early settlers. We have a very powerful marking point in the 17th century, and that is the halfway covenant. The halfway covenant was a term given by critics, but it didn't start out as bad as it sounds. The Puritans, now called Congregationalists, were losing both numbers and influence. Strict membership rules required a personal testimony of conversion which excluded an increasing number of people. The halfway covenant allowed the children of members to enjoy partial membership in the hope that one day they would profess Christ and become full members. The policy started in 1662. But by 1677, some churches were no longer bothering to distinguish between full and partial members. The churches had an increasing number of people who had no profession of faith in Christ. And then came the Age of Reason. The common approach in the intellectuals of the day was always to turn to their reason and, of course, the mass reason, if you would, the rational approach by the mass of men to try to find truth. The Bible was slipping into the background as being the source of knowing exactly what man is and what man's capabilities are. What did our forefathers come into this wilderness for? Not to gain estates, but for religion, in that they might leave their children in a hopeful way of being truly religious. Who is there left among you that saw these churches in their first glory? Pride, worldliness, drunkenness, and uncleanness break in like a flood upon us and good men grow cold in their love to God and one another. It is yeah, I just want to comment here 
I mean, this is exactly what was going on in 1800 with McCready. Uh, this is wonderful the way they're presenting it, but with the Second Great Awakening, with the writings of McCready, he was saying exactly what you're hearing here it was really exactly what was happening um, and, and need for the revival at 1800. Been a frequent observation that if one generation begins to decline, the next that follows it usually grows worse, and so on till God pours out His Spirit again upon them. By the early 1700s, with rich, fertile soil and thriving businesses, people prospered. But while they saw the land's abundance, the ministers saw spiritual barrenness. So, like the farmers, the New England ministers began working to harvest the souls of men, scattering their words like seeds. When the voice of God awakes not one, but thousands, it may be in a day when whole villages and districts seem as if arising and putting on new life. Things began taking root in New Jersey, where Theodore Freelinghausen, a Dutch Reformed pastor, was riding a circuit between four churches. What made Freelinghausen different was his fervent preaching that each person needed a personal conversion to faith in Christ, a doctrine minimized and even lost in many churches. In fact, many men joined the clergy as a professional choice and not out of a sense of religious duty. They had never experienced a personal conversion and so didn't preach about it. But this was the key to the awakening. Of late there has been a greater stirring than ordinary. Many have been awakened to consider and inquire with a great deal of earnestness what they should do to be saved. Oh, that the same good spirit from on high will pour out on the rest of the country. Stirring, awakened, saved. These are all terms well understood at the time. The Bible speaks about being dead in sin and being made alive when God grants forgiveness. The idea of resurrection, being raised from the dead, is also used. And it's the Spirit of God who does the awakening through the Word of God, the Bible. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, was the message of the Great Awakening. He that believeth on Jesus Christ hath everlasting life. The message was simple, direct, personal. It cut across doctrinal and denominational differences. It stirred people out of religious complacency. There was something they needed to do. They needed to believe on Jesus Christ as their Savior, aristocrat or commoner, rich or poor, free or slave, all needed salvation from sin, all needed to be awakened from the sleep of death. Neshaminy, Pennsylvania, 
It's here that the roots of the Great Awakening dug even deeper into the American soil with the building of a seminary. William Tennant, a Presbyterian minister, opened his home to train ministerial students. Education at that time at the least involved going to Harvard or Yale up in New England, and of course uh, Tennant in Pennsylvania in those days, that was quite a distance to go. And for many people it meant going to Europe as well. So simply there was a kind of a practicality about it. Uh, We need this school here for our people that they can get to. The Log College was at first an unfavorable nickname. There were many who opposed this crude seminary. But to William Tennant, a new start was necessary because the established schools didn't require or emphasize personal conversion to faith in Christ. One of the problems that the Presbyterian Church, as well as the other denominations, faced was the matter of an unconverted ministry. Uh, Gilbert Tennant, the son of William Tennant, for example, stirred up quite a controversy by preaching a sermon called The Danger of an Unconverted Ministry. Because realizing the problem of having people in the pulpits who themselves were strangers to grace, uh, obviously those committed to the revival and to the evangelical faith saw this as a great danger. Uh, whereas others who were used to good church order, as long as you have the church organized and going in its fashion and the preacher is there preaching whatever the message is, well, then things seem to be covered, as you might say. And so there was this split there about this stress that the revival is placed upon the necessity for a regenerate pastor. Beloved brethren, you have often heard your danger described You've had many a call by the word and providence of God, as well as by your own consciences. And are you not awakened yet? The heritage of the Log College is enormous. Of course, at the immediate time, you had Tennant training not only his sons, but other young men for the ministry. They would imbibe the evangelistic, revivalistic theology of William Tennant and went out and preached it throughout, first of all, Pennsylvania and the Middle Colonies and then further along. There's also a long-term heritage to the Log College. In a sense, it broke the educational monopoly of New England. No longer did you have to go up to uh, Harvard or Yale necessarily or overseas for education, but now there were other schools coming up like the Log College. In fact, many new schools grew out of the Log College, even though it closed in 1747. Currents of spiritual awakening stirred in several communities, providing a taste of the Great Awakening. While God was so remarkably present amongst us by His Spirit, there was no book so delighted in as the Bible, and no place so desired as God's house. Jonathan Edwards and Northampton, Massachusetts. What happened there will be unforgettable. Edwards is referred to as the intellectual of the awakening. When he was 13 years of age, he went to Yale. So there was a tremendous uh, amount of brain power at work in the man himself. Uh, Edwards was a precocious student, was himself extremely gifted uh, in the study of theology, was to inform himself of the philosophies of his day. It is not uncommon for the history of philosophy to refer to Edwards as one of the three greatest American philosophers who have ever been, and he is regarded as the first. Edwards was ordained in 1727 and assisted his grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, as pastor of the large and prosperous Northampton Church. When Stoddard died, Jonathan Edwards became the pastor. 
More scholar than pastor, Edward studied 13 hours a day. He was convinced that a personal conversion experience with Jesus Christ was necessary for salvation from sin, not just attending church, being baptized, or participating in communion. He set about dismantling the halfway covenant. Edward simultaneously closed and opened the church doors. He created stricter membership rules, but reached out with the gospel message, seeking sinners who would repent and come to God. He was not flamboyant. His preaching was measured, reasoned, and written. His style could have or should have put listeners to sleep, but it had the exact opposite effect. The things I have observed in this town have been extraordinary. God has been working much beyond his usual way. Almost every person in this town, old and young alike, are concerned about the great things of the eternal world. The work of conversion is being carried on in a most astonishing manner. The work in this town and some others about us has been extraordinarily universal, affecting all sorts of people, both good and bad, high and low, rich and poor. Everyone is concerned about salvation. This present world is only of secondary importance to them. The only thing in their view is to get into the kingdom of heaven. I think that more than 300 souls have been savingly brought to Christ in this town in about a half a year. The best-known sermon by Jonathan Edwards is Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, preached at Enfield, Connecticut, uh, at a time when the Great Awakening had already swept throughout New England. Edwards came with the deliberate purpose of trying to awaken these people to their need of Christ. His images are fascinating because they show his knowledge of how to move upon the human heart. And yet at the same time, rhetoric never wins anybody to the Lord. It has to be the Spirit of God. time, a movement developed among English college students that emphasized Bible study, personal conversion to Christ, and a methodical approach to Christian living. Known as the Methodist movement, its chief founders were John and Charles Wesley and George Whitfield. These students met together for mutual improvement by confessing their sins to one another, visiting the sick and poor, avoiding amusements and luxuries, sharing testimonies and singing. Originally part of the Anglican Church, these pious men and women were labeled fanatics for their open-air preaching and evangelistic zeal. Of these three leaders, George Whitfield would have a profound effect on the American colonies. that I may be enabled to lift up my voice like a trumpet and to speak with a demonstration of the Spirit and with power. These parts are in a dead sleep. On Thursday, late in the evening, 
The Reverend Mr. Whitfield went on board at Newcastle in order to sail to Georgia after having been on shore 33 days and having traveled some hundreds of miles and preached 58 times in the provinces of New Jersey, New York, and Pennsylvania. His congregation consisted sometimes of four, sometimes of five, sometimes of eight, twelve, fifteen, and once at Philadelphia of 20,000 people. Great and visible effects followed his preaching almost wheresoever he went, especially in Philadelphia. There was never such a general awakening and concern for the things of God known in America before. In those days, it was typical for preachers to write out their sermons, and they were often long and tedious, deeply theological, and uh, somewhat boring except to the well-educated. But Whitfield changed all that. He spoke extemporaneously, as we like to hear sermons today. Uh, the people uh, went out into the cornfields to hear him preach. Rich stood by the poor and slaves by farmers. And all could hear and all could understand and all could believe. Whitfield was dramatic. And just his enthusiasm was often startling. In his youth, he loved the English stage and wanted to be an actor, but his commitment to Christ led him to the pulpit instead. As he portrayed the apostles and other Bible characters, the audience would sit with rapt attention. And now, you sinners, what have you to object? I see you are all silent, and well you may. For if you will not be drawn by the cord of infinite and everlasting love, what will draw you? If the love of Jesus Christ will not constrain you, your case is desperate. Would anything I could do or suffer influence your hearts? I think I could bear to pluck out my eyes or even to lay down my life for your sakes. But such power only belongeth unto the Lord. I can only invite. It is His Spirit that must convince you of unbelief and of the everlasting righteousness of His dear Son. The standing order congregational churches largely were resistant to Whitfield. As he continued to preach, there grew up what were called New Light congregational churches as they were embracing of what Whitfield was saying. In places like Yale and Harvard, they were resistant to Whitfield. So as he's coming and preaching, he's, he's just stirring up uh, all kinds of controversy because he is, he's not in keeping with the status quo. The idea that you could have someone like George Whitfield who would come to town and preach outdoors, out in the open, at irregular times, instead of preaching in a church on Sunday morning, uh, to some was very offensive, and they wanted nothing to do with it. The old light churches and other critics called Whitfield Saint Money Trap because of his fundraising. They called him Dr. Squintum because he had one crossed eye. He was dismissed as just a peddler of religion because of his itinerant ministry. Many of the established clergy felt that the Great Awakening was just some kind of emotional frenzy. But when people feel great remorse for their sin and want to be forgiven by God and man, their relief is a visible and 
powerful experience. There were some excesses connected with the awakening. Some people in the extremes got carried away in their zeal. Uh, And some men feared, frankly, for the reputation of the gospel because of these things. On the other hand, there were people who were unregenerate. Uh, They had no theological sympathy. They had no spiritual sympathy with what the Great Awakening was all about. Therefore, for them, uh, this was simply excessive, zealous enthusiasm, and they wanted nothing to do with it. It wasn't respectable religion. Field preaching prevails with the vulgar here so much that industry, honest labor, and care for their families with many seem to be held as sinful and a mock of neglect for the salvation of their souls. Mr. Whitfield and his adherent ministers have infatuated the multitude with the doctrines of regeneration, free grace, conversion, etc., after their peculiar way of thinking as essential articles of salvation, though inconstant with true religion. He is the more to be guarded against because, I can assure you, he is qualified to sway and to keep the affections of the multitude. Religion to them was something that was orderly and rational and calm, and it was a religion of the head. But here you get with the Great Awakening a religious fervor. There's an emotionalism. There's an intensity. People just don't like it. And so churches are split. Denominations are split. And out of that division, the Lord is going to create even stronger groups, such as the Baptists and a few decades later, even the Methodist Church. Yes, there was a splintering and a multiplying of Protestant denominations, but there was also a unifying force in the Great Awakening. Whitfield claimed no one denomination and worked with anyone who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. His travels united the colonies with a common bond of experience. Other ministers exchanged letters, journals, and sermons that spread the awakening ideas. Printed materials could reach communities where preachers didn't go. During the Great Awakening, uh, Benjamin Franklin, again a publisher, newspaper publisher, uh, became friends with George Whitfield. Benjamin Franklin and George Whitfield are two people whom you would never think of as being close friends. Uh, they come from very different backgrounds in terms of philosophy. They certainly had different ideas about religion. and. They had very different moral characters, but the two men became very close friends. Methinks my testimony in his favor ought to have the more weight, as we had no religious connection. He used sometimes indeed to pray for my conversion, but never had the satisfaction of believing that his prayers were heard. Ours was a mere civil friendship. The quest that Benjamin Franklin had to make money he prints the sermons of George Whitfield because they sell. Franklin isn't thinking about I'm distributing the word. He's thinking about there's bucks for doing this. I can make money off this. But for a mass audience, uh, the main way of communicating in print was the newspaper. And this is used extensively. Historians believe that this is one way that, uh, humanly speaking, the revival uh, could be communicated and would spread from area to area because It wasn't just in one colony or one region. It was in all 13. In the afternoon, he preached in the fields to many hundreds of people. Well, thus far, I was prejudiced in his favor. But then, 
having heard of much opposition against him, I thought it possible that he might have carried things too far. When I came there, I saw a great number of people consisting of Christians of all denominations, and a few, I believe, that had no religion at all. When Mr. Whitfield came to the place, he stood still and beckoned with his hand. He then prayed most excellently. All became hushed and still. A solemn awe and reverence appeared in the faces of most. I never saw or heard the like. And I said within myself, Surely God is with this man. Although books, newspapers, and itinerant preachers spread the ideas of the Great Awakening, it was the people themselves that were the most effective witnesses. In most southern colonies, the Church of England was the only legal denomination. People outside the Anglican Church were called dissenters, and as the Great Awakening took hold, there were more and more of them. Take Samuel Morris of Virginia, a bricklayer and a dissenter. He began holding services in his home by simply reading aloud books by men like Martin Luther and sermons by George Whitfield. I invited my neighbors to come and hear them, and the plainness and fervency of these discourses being attended with the power of the Lord, many were convinced of their undone condition and constrained to seek deliverance. My dwelling house at length was too small to contain the people, whereupon we determined to build a meeting house merely for reading. By this single means, several were awakened. Samuel Davies, a Presbyterian, arrived in 1747 as the first regular pastor of the Virginia dissenters. By that time, there were seven meeting houses in the group. Davies was 24 years old and suffered from recurring illness, but he was also well-educated, highly respected, good with people, a poet, and an excellent speaker. He knew that as the first permanent New Light preacher in Virginia, he would face opposition from the Old Light Presbyterians as well as the Anglican Church leaders, and he had to obtain legal permission from the government for his congregations to meet. One of the problems that the pro-revival faction had to face in the South was the fact that often the Church of England, the Anglican Church, was the established church there. And probably of all the Protestant churches, the Anglicans were the least sympathetic to the revival. In New England, there were state Puritan churches, Congregationalist churches, but they were often pro-revival, so it wasn't much of a problem. So when men like Samuel Davies came into Virginia, they had to face not only the preaching to the unregenerate and the other obstacles normally placed in the way of the gospel, they had to face a church hierarchy supported by the state, which was of at least very mixed support. In October 1748, besides the four meeting houses already mentioned, the people petitioned for the licensing of three more, which with great difficulty was obtained. Among these seven, I've hitherto divided my time. The nearest are twelve or fifteen miles distant from each other, and the extreme is about forty. 
May the Lord induce faithful ministers from New England or wherever they might be spared to come and help us. Samuel Davies ministered to Native Americans and slaves, anyone who needed to hear the gospel message of salvation in Christ. His largest meeting house accommodated 500, but at times services moved outdoors because of the crowds. Samuel Davies was a very eloquent preacher, a very talented orator. In fact, one of the people who heard Davies speak when he was a young man was young Patrick Henry. Some historians believe that when Henry, during the Revolution, gave his famous Give Me Liberty or Give Me Death speech, he was actually harking back to an address given by Davies at the beginning of the French and Indian War, when he, Davies, had tried to rouse up uh, the colonists to the great cause at the time of danger. Jubal Stearns was a New Englander impacted by Whitfield's preaching. He left the Congregationalists and joined the Baptists, very much a minority group at the time. In 1755, he and his brother-in-law moved to Sandy Creek, North Carolina. You have the Great Awakening being transported from New England down to the South. And that's where a man like Jubal Stearns really comes into play because he he was a part of the first Great Awakening and then was used of the Lord with all of his limitations to transport the work of God to a whole new area of the country that benefited from it in the long term much more than New England did when the Great Awakening visited there. When Stearns began preaching at Sandy Creek, he had only a small handful of people, I don't think even a dozen or, uh, in total. Yet, within a few years, the congregation of that church had grown to about 500. And keep in mind, we're talking about the frontier here. We're not talking about a, an urban setting. Uh, for 500 people to come together for a Sunday service would be rather formidable. But even then, that's not where the Sandy Creek Awakening stopped. Uh, as these people were converted, they went out to other settlements along the frontier. And through South Carolina, North Carolina, into Georgia and Virginia, we had uh, itinerant preachers of the Sandy Creek Awakening going about preaching the gospel, starting churches, till eventually the Sandy Creek uh, Association became one of the biggest organizations, both of the Baptist uh, and the revival in the South at that time. And with that start, today the Baptist denominations are the single largest Protestant group in the United States. The 40 years of the Great Awakening brought about changes that permanently influenced the American colonies. Thousands of lives were changed, affecting the social and moral fabric of our society. Hundreds of churches were started, as well as schools and colleges. The gospel message was extended to slaves and Native Americans. There was greater religious freedom and diversity, and at the same time, a common bond of spiritual commitment. Perhaps one thing that impressed me personally in this 
Great Awakening era is God's faithfulness when His Word is preached, regardless of the instrument. It's encouraging to realize the different people and the different types of preaching and people that God used to bring men unto Him. I guess if I tried to think over a spiritual lesson that came out of the Great Awakening, it is above all the dependence upon God and His timing and His way. It's not a matter of trying to manufacture something or get up some kind of effort. Rather, it's a matter of prayerful dependence upon Him, waiting on His time. And secular historians will try to explain it as the social result of this and that and the other. But God speaks to hearts, and He draws people to Himself, and He does it in His time. And the second thing I take away from this is a hunger to see that same kind of revival in my own day. It seems to me that now, as then, surely we have need of a, a new spiritual awakening from all history, because revival is God's work after all, not man's. God has responded to the prayers of His people. In the Old Testament book of Second Chronicles, chapter 7, God's promise is that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will heal their land. It hath pleased the sovereign and gracious God to ordain that we should live under some peculiar advantages for our precious souls. We've lately heard glad tidings from one place and another that many are inquiring the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, and some are declaring what God hath done for their souls. Yea, God hath brought this work home to our own doors. And we hear many crying out, What must I do to be saved? O oh, sleeper, awake! I thought it was uh, I thought it was well done, and I like the call at the end to we need a great awakening um, like they had back then. Uh, one thing I learned from it was um, uh, the great awakening apparently was in two sections. It was New England, and then it moved uh, moved south. So I, I kind of thought it was all happening at the same time. So it looked like it was a little um, fragmented there, which carried the Great Awakening in the South much closer to the American Revolution. But I thought it was really, really, really good. And let's get some comments and feedback on it. So let's go over here. And um, oh, Sharon disappeared. 
No, she's here. Kathy disappeared. Yes, Sharon. Um, what's uh, your yes, yes. Yeah, what's your take on that um, that video there about the Great Awakening? Well, I thought it was uh, uh, it was uh, good and stuff. I'm not uh, sure about how informative or anything uh, that it was. And like you said, it, it seemed like there was like uh, two different areas or something right. like, like we right. weren't ready for right. that and right. stuff. So um, I did enjoy watching it and stuff, but um, and listening to it. And um, I'm glad you played it. I really am. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, And there was some names there. Uh, that I picked up, you know, and the uh, the one guy I was aware of, but I wasn't aware of the uh, Frauhauser from New Jersey. I okay, mean, yeah. yeah, he's someone that I am aware of, but I didn't see that he was like one. Of, I didn't know he was one of the original fire starters of the Great Awakening. Okay, and yeah, uh, his name is a little bit more familiar to me, but yeah. uh, probably hearing stuff from being up here in Michigan, you know, I heard, might've heard a lot of different stuff, but with you being from Pennsylvania, you would think that you would heard more about him. No, no, not, no, not being in Pennsylvania, but just from history. I, but I could see how he was a real igniter back then and, and, and dead religion. Oh my, it was really, was religion yeah. dead back? Wow, we it was really dead, and God threw a, a bomb into into that deadness and some powerful, powerful people. Now, one thing I want to check he he talked about Whitfield's farewell speech. Uh, yes, but if I, as far as I know, Whitfield uh, he passed away here in the United States much later than that. And, uh, in fact, I'm going to look that up right as we're talking now. He, yeah, that's a good thing. But they were uh, saying that uh, there's controversy as to whether he died overseas or here or or where. I remember hearing that many, many years ago and stuff. So it would be interesting to know. He died in uh, in Massachusetts, and I think he's, he's buried in Massachusetts. Okay. All right, let's take a look at George Whitfield. Uh, yeah, okay, he died, he, he uh, let's see, he died here September 30th, 17, wow, he was young, I thought he was older, yeah. 1770 yeah, was, yeah. in uh, Newburyport, Massachusetts. He's buried at the old South Presbyterian Church. Newbury, wow. Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. So somehow they, they, I think they said 1841, he gave his farewell speech and he spent yeah, a lot of time. Yeah. He, he spent a lot of time in Georgia. I know he uh, started a, an orphanage there. I think sister Kathy said is still going. And that was mm-hmm. the main reason he was raising money was for that orchid, uh, organ orphanage in Georgia. Um, yeah, but he only lived to be 55. Wow. And he packed a lot into those years. 
Yes, he did. Yeah, I just wonder if he wrote that uh, farewell sermon because he knew he was sick or something. Well, it, no, it's. I think it was 17. Um, well, what year was it that he passed away again? I, uh, 1770. No, no, no. That was way before that. Is they said his farewell speech. Okay. Bethesda Orphanage. That's where it was. Bethesda Orphanage in Georgia. Okay. And he had a uh, he had a tremendous uh, voice that carried. Tremendous. He, he he was anointed of God. He didn't need any way to need to amplify his voice. Right. Chaplain. Yes, Sister Kathy. Um, it's not an orphanage now. It's a boys' school, and um, but they uh, it is still open, but it isn't the um, it's not how it originally came to be or started out. What did it start out as? As an orphanage. Right, right, right. And now it's a school. Yeah, yeah, but it's still functioning. Yeah, same same buildings that that were, but it it really had an amazing, a uh, terrible terrible history with the Civil War and with black, black fires and tornado. But um, so Countess Selena Hastings of Huntingdon was his main supporter. She really kept it going, and he. Um, donated it or he um what is it called when you die he gave it to her as um he deeded well whatever you call it when you die and you leave it to somebody she inherited it will okay okay all right well i'm glad you stayed back up kathy to tell us all this stuff yeah (laughs) yeah Especially when uh, chaplains started talking about this was in Georgia, that was in Georgia. And I'm going, well, where is Kathy? Yeah, I turned, I hung up to, um, so I could listen to it. It's like two minutes behind when I'm seeing them talk and hearing what's going yeah, on. Yeah. So I hung up to watch it live there on the that. Wow. That was, uh, that was very, very interesting. But yeah, it was off about Whitfield. I don't know why they said that. He uh, he preached he preached um, on uh, Sunday there, uh, September twenty ninth, seventeen seventy, and uh, he went home and died, and he's buried under, I think the uh, I don't know if it's still there or not, but he, he was originally buried under the pulpit, I think. <laughs> uh, under the parsonage, it says. Under the parsonage. So, okay. And let me see if there's anybody else there that maybe has some questions. Um, all right. Uh, Sister Rita, any comments or questions? No, I, I just found it very interesting. Okay. And also, one thing I did find interesting was that the people had to travel. A lot of people, I think, in my opinion, is that they had to travel a long ways to hear somebody preach 
because I don't think those places were in a metropolis were, were built in a metropolis place. Well, you're right. So, like, they, they would and, have to travel in a horse and buggy sort of thing bit. Yeah. And, and that it, would take a, a lot, because, I mean, for them to travel, I don't know how long it would take you to travel a horse and buggy if you have to go 40 miles. Exactly. So it took up, they would probably leave, it depends upon how far they were from the church, uh, but they would, it would be, in, a lot of them would be an all-day uh, event. They would have to travel two or three hours, and then church was usually long. There they, they had yeah. to, And then they'd have to come home. So, yeah, it was an all-day event uh, back in those days. And yeah. chaplain? Yeah, it's at the Kathy. Um, Twizzle wants to know the name of the video because she wants to post it on Facebook. Okay, hang on. Let me get back over to it. Mm -hmm. The name is The Great Awakening Spiritual Revival in Colonial, Colonial America. Thank you. Yes, and thank you, Kathy, for uh, seeing that question. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, now let me get back here. Um, Gigi, uh, Randy, do you have any questions, comments? We were talking about it because we... Oh, can you hear me? Yes, yes, go ahead. Yes, we were, we were just uh, talking about the fact that we were really... Um, blessed because we we saw a lot of the churches from the colonial period. There was one very close to where we lived uh, from 1773 Christ Church. I think it was Episcopal Church and George Washington used to attend that. And um, we went to a couple other churches and it's very interesting to see that the structures were very nice, but of course they didn't have heat. And so it gave kind of a different perspective to us to see that um, a lot of times they donated money so that they could sit in one pew ah. and they have their and they had their pillows which were um, hand embroidered with their names on them and then things like blankets and they had um, kind of looked like a bedpan sort of a thing that they could put uh, sort of underneath the seat there with some coals in it to keep themselves warm. And so it's, you know, it's very interesting to see something like that in person and recognize that um, you, had, you had to be pretty, um, uh, what can I call it? Hardy, hardy. Uh, hardy, yes, thank you. That's the word for it. And you had to be so hardy. And some of the churches that we went, we were trying to remember the name of this one church that was down near the northern neck of Virginia. It was a beautiful church. They, they, that one it was not in use anymore. But they were quite large from what I, what I would imagine during those periods of the 1700s. So that was a very, very interesting film. Thank you so much for showing it. We also hung up so that we could see the the video part of it very good yeah yeah I, I just thought it pieced it together uh, pretty good it showed you the moral condition where um, apparently America has been 
blessed with prosperity from the very beginning and the turn is to prosperity away from the Lord and then the country goes into a deep dive and then every 50 to 60 years the Lord bails us out with a great, with a great outpouring <laughs> of the Holy Spirit so that's what I glean uh, from seeing the I, I didn't pick up on the prosperity issue until I watched this and but it was the same thing the prosperity in the uh, 1800 it was the prosperity and it collapsed in 1857 when people came flocking to the Lord so okay um, thank you for showing it all right now I have one more that has to do with just uh, Whitfield Maybe this one here will find out more. Well, no, we know where he's, uh, he died here in the United States. Um, okay, let me get over to it. Come on. All right, I'm there. Let's get, this is titled George Whitfield and the First American Awakening. In the years leading up to the American Revolution, one man sowed the seeds of revolution simply by changing men's hearts. This Englishman sparked the embers of revival in England. Then he brought it to America, where the flames swept like a wildfire. His dramatic storyteller sermons drew thousands of followers throughout the colonies from New England to Georgia. Vast seas of crowds who gathered outdoors became converts after hearing him explain about the new birth we can have in Christ. The pulpits of the churches were closed to him, in both England and often in America. Yet he reached into many of these churches, and from the pastor to the parishioner, entire churches were saved and transformed. George Whitfield was responsible for changing the way Americans thought about God, the church, their liberty and equality, and by doing so, transformed a nation and the world. George Whitfield, what a story, Doug. Let's get right into the program today on the second half of which we're in our study on George Whitfield. But I want to pick it back up on something that we talked about on last week's program is really in, let's go back to the fact this guy, he, he grew up in England and he grew up in a bar. He was born in a bar and then he, he made it through to Oxford had several encounters, and then he starts preaching. The church kind of closes its doors to yep. him, but yet he's having great results outside mm -hmm. the church. And you know how much I love that, yep. how he's doing stuff outside the church, and he's seeing results. And then he decides things are going so great, he comes to America. Why? Well, I mean, I thought that too because he was, I mean, he was the rock star of the day. He preached to over one million people in the London area. Uh, but it was a spiritual thing. It was that prophecy that we had mentioned. Uh, a, a, and he saw that Christianity had to move west and go to the colonies. And he was about to take that experience that had changed him because he knew it would change individuals and even change the whole country. So, uh, so he, he gets, how did he get, did he, you know, he didn't hop on a 747 and pop over. You know, he had to take another ship. <laughs> no, you know, no. On a, on a voyage. He would, because uh, he was invited uh, by the, the Wesley brothers on his first trip. He made a number of trips, seven of them. Uh, I mean, he spent three years so on the really boat. So he really stayed in contact with the Wesleys. He did. All of that. It, I mean, they had their agreements and, and some of their, their, their yeah, yeah, but they were for each other. 
And, uh, but they knew that the preaching of the new birth was something they could a, 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 a agree on. Yeah. So, so he comes to America. And so what happens when he gets here? Well, he starts to preach. An amazing thing um, happens is that he, he goes to the highways and in byways. On one of his trips, he preached to half a million uh, um, indi- individuals. He was tireless and um, he would have large crowds. Now, it wasn't just the preaching, but he, he met a man called, called Benjamin Franklin because he was the co-signer of um, the, the, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence. But, but Benjamin Franklin, he was a printer. He was a businessman. And he'd heard about this, um, this up-and-coming um, evangelist in, in England. So they got together, and he printed all his sermons. And even when Whitfield was not preaching, his sermons were. Uh, they would actually read them in churches and have revivals. Reading his sermons, they would actually... Yeah, yeah. You know, you touched on something last week about, you know, printing It was the social media of the day. The quickest way to get your thoughts out to the world was to go print it up. And that's why the printing press was so important. It was, it was. You know, to the evangelism of the day and all that was happening. So so he's he's there, but, I mean, obviously he had, he had quite a... He came into quite a following for fairly quickly. What made him so, why did people want to hear him? What was yeah. so exciting about him? Yeah, well, um, it wasn't an accident that people, they wanted to, 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 I mean, to hear him. He was methodical in going out. He was the, I mean, he preached everywhere. He got his sermons out there. There was the natural side, but there was the supernatural side. He preached. He would read his Bible on his knees. And he said sermons would come to him. So he would feed from the living bread of the word of life, and he would give that out. So he, he, he wasn't just a sermonizer. It, was, um, it fed him, and he fed others. So I believe, yes, there was the side he, I mean, he was the Mel Gibson of the day. You remember the movie, The Passion of the sure, Christ, sure. and that scene which just impacted everybody, where Jesus was being whipped and there was a lot of 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 of, um, of, of criticism over that because it was so graphic. Yes. But uh, Gibson said himself, "I had you know to tone it down." But if you imagine, Whitfield was the movie right. because he would take those scenes and he would make them real to people, and uh, and that's what they needed because they had no no uh, you know no movies to go to, and so he really took it to them. And it, and it impacted um, everybody. So when you went to Whitfield Revival, what was that like? And I specifically want you to tell the story of, of Nathan Cole. Tell me about that. It was electric. It was exciting. There was anticipation. Mm. And uh, it's a great story. I mean, businesses shut down, courts shut down, farms shut down, and everyone, they went to the revival. Nathan Cole, he was a young man and um, a rider almost like a town crier, would go out and say, Whitfield's preaching, Whitfield's preaching. He's preaching at uh, 10 a.m. in the courthouse. And so Nathan dropped what he was doing in the field. It was 8 o'clock in the morning. He'd likely been up since 4. Right. And he ran inside. He gets his, his wife. 
and they get on a horse and they rush and they drive for a whole hour, 12 miles into the into the town. But it's but it's so interesting because the horse got tired. He had to rest and uh, walk a bit. But he said, I saw a cloud um, over the town. But as he got closer, it wasn't a, 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 a cloud at all. Uh, of mist, it was a cloud of dust. Mm. There was a traffic jam, and hundreds and hundreds of horses, and carriages, of people rushing in to hear the evangelist. He said um, he had to wait for a gap, almost in the traffic, to get in. So he gets in there, and the anticipation is so high. And he said it was like the voice of an angel who spoke to him. And um, and, and as with many thousands of, of people, he was touched. By that, he said, I look back on the farms and they were empty. Right. The power of the Word of God, he knew how to, how to relay that. But you talked about him spending time on his knees and the Word, yeah. and the sermons would jump out at him. Yeah. You know, that's something that we, we live in such an immediate society, and I know we've said this for my whole life, you know. We almost cursed microwaves when they came out because they were too quick. And, um, you know, the, the, there's nothing like getting on your knees and seeing what God has to say to oh, you, yeah. hearing Him. So as he's preaching, um, what, kind of, what kind of messages would he actually preach? He preached on everything. Now, of course, he preached the message I think over 3,000 times, and that was, you must be born again. But um, there's a great one when he was, um, he was out preaching, and, um, and, and he would get up and say, who is there in heaven besides Abraham? Are there Episcopalians in heaven? And the crowd would say, no. Are there only Methodists? No. Are there Congregationalists? And he would, I mean, he would and, and, and the crowd was there, and he said, no, only those who have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their, of their testimony. He said, let us not use labels uh, and let us say we are just Christians. And I think that he really, he, he unified unintentionally, I think, all these, all these different uh, groups and states un, um, under one, it was, un, it was a nation under God rather than individual states under their, uh, under their denomination. Because like, uh, even in Pennsylvania, it was founded by William Penn, and he was a Quaker. Right. So it's like uh, the flavor was we're Christian first, and it birthed an identity, I think, of, of the whole nation that was to come. Now, Whitfield, um, and I may be getting ahead of myself here a little bit, he, he lived to be an old man. Did he, or did he die early? I think he died too young. He was 56 years old. Now, his friend uh, Wesley was like 88. So what was the difference between Wesley living to 88 and Whitfield only going to 56? It was not spiritual. It wasn't a God thing that he was called home early. Whitfield, he got what he said. He said, "I I would rather wear out than rust out. He did not take care of himself. He kept a very punishing uh, schedule. I mean, he, he would sometimes, he would preach all day, he would ride all night, and then preach again. Here's just a, a, uh, a nine-day excerpt of, of, um, 
um, of his life. It said he visited the sick, the, the imprisoned, he entertained um, um, with guests. He was, in, he was in, in Pennsylvania. He dined with William Penn's heir. He prayed with many individuals. Uh, he was a man, he loved, you know, to go. The, the worst moments of his life was those three years that he spent on the, on the ships. He said, I faced the devil on those times because he hated when he was not uh, uh, moving around. So yes, he died young. I think if he had looked after himself, he would, you know, uh, he would have had many more years. But um, he packed a lot of years, you know, um, a lot of life in those years. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I know uh, we've learned that even in later times with Americans who died early. Yes, yeah. Like Jack Coe died at 38. Yeah, you know, yeah, And yeah. so there's, you know, running their bodies into the ground. Well, and you said earlier in the other program about 18,000 messages. Yeah. You know, uh, Oral Roberts said, I have 50 messages. <laughs> and, and, and his whole point was not that I don't have a lot of messages, just that it... You know, you preach, and he would constantly tweak and add, and, you know, change them. But the 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 result is knowing what God has given you to speak. Yeah. What and and Whitfield seemed to know. Yes. Now let me just take a little break right here and talk about his because we talked about his body and the fact he only lived to be fifty six, and um, which is very young, by the way. The uh, the the ability to. Uh, your your human body, you're still in the natural state. You have this supernatural gift. You have God living inside of you, and you're you're taking the gospel to the world. I mean, which Whitfield certainly did. And um, <clears throat> you know, I can tell you, even in my own life, when there was a meeting I did where there was like a great results, uh, or uh, even attending a believers convention where there was such power and things were happening, and it's over, and all you can think of is Let's go to the next one. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. let's hurry up and get to the next thing. Let's yeah. do the next one. Or, man, we had great healing. Let's, and we get. It's real easy to step over into the flesh and go. Let's go another week. You know, just because you're the addictiveness of what the Holy Spirit does in your life, and and it's such a wonderful thing. You know, our human bodies don't want to be apart from Him because yeah. it's it's coming home to the Father. But we have to learn. And, and the only way you can get this is through the understanding of the Holy Spirit and through the Scripture. That too, you do have to take care of your body here on earth yeah. to fulfill the call of God in your life. Whitfield was a wonderful, wonderful man. And there's so many more stories. Let's let's get into a little bit more of that. Let's go back to his sermons. What was the immediate reaction when uh, he was preaching in America? Was was he? Uh, you talked about some of the. Uh, the people were coming. Was it that way everywhere he went? That I mean, people would he would have big crowds. He would have a remarkable thing happened many, many times because if you have thousands of people, there's noise, right? And there's things going on. But uh, here, Gene, it was often it was silence. It was just pure silence, and and it is rumored that he preached to twenty, even thirty thousand uh, people. And uh, but the silence certainly helped that. But I think it was more than that. It was just you know I mean I've been in services where where you can cut the presence of God 
with a knife. There's the heavenly silence. I think it was more than just a natural mm-hmm. thing. Absolutely. It had to be. Yeah. To yeah, have the results yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin was pretty skeptical, wasn't he? Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I was too. It's like, are you kidding me? I mean, I mean, 30,000 people. How about 300? Right. I mean, um, no microphone and no amplification and all the noise outside. So, so, so it's a great story. Franklin is um, in Pennsylvania. He's listening to Whitfield. And so he's skeptical, but he's the scientist, of course, you know. So he walked away as far as he could from where Whitfield was preaching. And he did a calculation. He kind of drew an arc and thought, well, there's the preacher. I'm here. And if I drew an arc, you know, like an auditorium, right? if I give everyone like two foot by two foot, it wasn't 20,000 who could hear. He calculated that 30,000 could mm. hear that man preach. I mean, that changed me. I, I thought, wow, that's true. That's not just wow. preaching, you know. That's facts. Yeah, that's facts. That's right. That's right. Which is great. Uh, how did, you know, Franklin, he was, and, and most of us don't know, didn't know that, I'm sure you, maybe you didn't ever heard that uh, uh, Benjamin Franklin had such an interest in Whitfield and what he was doing. Um, so was Franklin a Christian or what did he believe? Well, he was, uh, um, uh, Franklin, he called himself a, a deist. And a deist was a man who believed that God's there, but he doesn't involve himself in the affairs of man. So praying is useless. Mm. So he called him that, but he wasn't really because he believed in prayer. And at the time of the revolution, he encouraged the people to pray and invoke God, invite God into their affairs. So... We don't know if he became a Christian. I remember when uh, Franklin was becoming famous as a scientist because he flew his kite in, into a, right. a thunderstorm. Always remember that, you know, that. And Whitfield, he wrote to him and said, I would now humbly recommend to your diligent, un, un, unprejudiced pursuit and study of the mystery of the new birth. So he's saying, study the new birth. And we don't know that, um, you know, that he became a, a Christian, but he greatly appreciated the, f- the fruit of the new birth. Right. I mean, the change. There's a wonderful experience here. This was in 1739, um, uh, and this is Franklin. He said this, it was, it was wonderful to see the, uh, the change that was, in, that was made in the behavior of our inhabitants from being thoughtless or indifferent about religion. It seemed as if the whole world was growing religious so that one could not walk through town in an evening without hearing psalms sung in different, in different families. So, man, he loved to see the he fruit of revival. Was, yeah, he was seeing the fruits of the revival. Absolutely, and he believed in it. You know, there, there are several uh, revivals where something happened with a child, did something huge. Yeah, because we think it's just the big evangelist, that, you know, the Great Awakening, but there was many thousands of small. And there's this, a, a mother, she was born again, and, uh, and she was trying to share the excitement of that with all her friends, and she may have not been good at it, and she was frustrated because no one wanted to hear her. But her daughter, her 10-year-old daughter, she got saved and just was full of joy and said, Mom, I want to tell the whole world this. Um, Pray, let me run to some of the neighbors and tell them that they'd be happy and love my, my Savior too. And so, and, and the mother said, I don't know, I've tried that. And, it, 
and it didn't work. But this 10-year-old, she went to a shoemaker and she was quite blunt. She said, you need to be saved, otherwise you're going to be lost and without God. And amazingly, the tears just started to pour down this man's uh, faith. So it's not a great evangelist now, it's a 10-year-old girl, and he was saved. And 50 people were born again just a result of that. So it was more than the great man of God. It was just people just sharing what happened in their lives. Mm. Yeah. What, what about some of his messages with... Um how did the other pastors receive him when he was preaching? Especially when he's talking about the new birth. Yeah, he was the talk of the town, and and the and in the taverns too, and um, he was very dramatic, and so they didn't like his style, and they didn't like what he said. Again, they struggled over over this this whole thing of the new birth. I mean, I mean, to us, it's obvious. You start and you get born again. Right. But, 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 but these guys had years of religious life. And so um, he was shut out of the churches, even in the, the colonies often. So it wasn't, was it just the pastors that gave him a hard time? or was Oh, it? man, no. I mean, there were individuals who were just trying to cause uh, uh, problems. There's a great story here. There's a, a, a gentleman, he was called John... Uh, Morant, he was a freed um, African-American. He was, he was a French horn player. Right. So he'd walk past a meeting house where Whitfield was and, and, and there's a lot of noise going on and he said, what's going on in there? And his friend said, oh, they're just hallooing in there. You know, they're just crazy guys. So this guy said, I'm going to stir up a bit of trouble here. I'm going to go in and blow my French horn. So he pushes his way in. He pulls, you know, the French horn off his shoulder, just as if the elderly, um, when the elderly Whitfield looks at him and says, Amos 4.12, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. This guy is knocked to the ground. Just It's like the power of the word impacted him. And he said, when he got up, he said it was fight. It was like the words of Whitfield were like swords that pierced him, but in a good way. And he was transformed. There's another great example of a man in a bar, and they were all mimicking the preacher. Right. You know, and, and, you know, he did, because he uh, he would jump around, he'd cry often, and so they thought that was hilarious. It was free entertainment. Sure. So this man gets up and says, I can do this better than you all. So he gets up, he's handed the the bible and uh and um it's a verse of scripture that says repent and believe so he just says repent and he can't speak wow he he just cannot speak and so they're going well come on come on i thought you were good at doing this and stuff and he went home and he wept and he became a believer so uh, yeah, there was a lot of controversy. So he was struck dumb right there in the... In yeah, the- by reading, again, it's the power of the Word of God. Wow. I mean, I see that as a theme, don't you? I mean, for the yeah, whole lot. Absolutely. Tremendous. You know, and you're saying that, I remember uh, back in the early 1900s at Azusa Street, those that would, um, they weren't trying to necessarily mock him, right. but maybe they were not going to say what they should be saying, or they had something that, were, that they would either... Stop, forget what they were saying, and they're on their way to say something, or they would be, they couldn't talk. It's the same thing. They were struck dumb and couldn't talk. Yeah. 
And some would just even forget what they were supposed to bring up at all. You know, and they're like, oh, I don't know, I'll go sit down. So, yeah, right. um, amazing, and you're right, the Word of God, the power mm-hmm. of the Word of God in this, this man. Well, I'm sure that in the bar that converts were had that yeah, night. Yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so I, I'm just, oh, my goodness. How did, uh, tell me about politics, and entering politics. That's a hot topic, you know. I mean, should we be completely outside or or or, or kind of, you know, um, inside? He was called the accidental revolutionary because he really had such an impact on the revolution that was to come. Um, a piece of legislation in, um, it was in, in 1764, was passed in England. The, the, the government there, they just needed money because they had wars going on and different things. So they had a stamp act and every, every page of printed paper was taxed. Well, I mean, the, the, the colonies were furious about this. Yes. So they sent Franklin to talk to a committee in the House of, of Commons, and they asked him all kinds of questions about this. And but it was Whitfield as well. He was lobbying as well as Franklin, and they got that retracted and repealed. And um, and so the colonies really saw that man. This evangelist, even though he's born in 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 England, um, he's he's speaking on our behalf. Yeah, and he's one of us. And so that was a very important perception that happened. Sure, I'm sure it did. And you know that's interesting. You know that that was pre-revolutionary war. Yeah. And so, what'd you call him? A pre-revolutionist? Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's yeah. great. <laughs> so that he actually opened the door. You know, in a lot of in a lot of ways, to uh, to the revolution because of what happened there. Yeah, because you know what he'd seen this. He saw, and and there's a quote here that. Um, I mean, I mean, the passage of that act was um, it was an attempt on the liberties of the colonies. He saw um, as a young man in Protestant England, the non-Protestant European countries were trying to squelch and, 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 and to put away with that and impose their version of Christianity. There was a seven year war. And so he came over. Uh, to um, the colonies, and he saw the British government were doing that, right. and it really struck a chord in him that we must have freedom to defend, um, you know, our religion. And as the the British government had taken up arms to defend their Protestant Christianity, I think he saw the writing on the wall, and that the colonies would have to do that. I, um, I believe that, Gene. Real, real quickly, because i only got like a couple minutes, tell me about the Boston Massacre in 1770. What did, what did, how, what did he do about that? Yeah, I mean, he was preaching, and that was when the British troops had, um, had killed like five individuals. They were throwing insults, and someone said that snowballs were thrown, you know, but, but these troops opened fire, and uh, it was a big deal. But Whitfield, as soon as he heard about it, he ran, no, well, he got on his horse and he went to Boston and he comforted the families. So his heart is drawn to these guys who are almost being picked on by these big bullies. It's so interesting. Well, Doug, we, we haven't even gotten into, we're still not done with Whitfield. No, I it, we, There's so many stories, but what a wonderful, wonderful 
man to study. I, I want to encourage you to go go study Whitfield out yourself. Read some of it. There's plenty of written material. Go to the website, RevivalRadioTV.com, and go to the timeline. And on that timeline, you can see different things. You have There's some links that you can read about Whitfield, and you can kind of see what all that he did and his connection. You know, that was 1700s. Now, it's interesting to remember Whitfield in the late 1700s that we kind of skipped over what happened in the Great American Prayer Revival, 1759, that went on right while he's there. So you can see when you start overlaying what things happened where and when, you see, ah, this was God's great tapestry of how things all fit together. And it's just amazing. I know... I know that you would you want to read more. So go to the website and see more about it. Thanks, Doug. You know, what is our part today? What should we do in the last 30 seconds? What is our part to do when it comes to the story of, of uh, Whitfield? We can only give what we have. And you might say, well, I don't have, I'm not a big evangelist. I'm not big this. I'm just old me. Have you been born again? Right. Wow. You, then you can g- give that. Has God spoken to you or touched uh, your life? Then just give what you have. Don't think I don't have something. It's give what you do have. Right. And that's what we mean when we say, be the one. See you next time. Well, I thought that was excellent, excellent, excellent. I'm going to go to their site and uh, explore it. I'm interested in this prayer revival of 1759. Uh, There's so much out there. No matter how much you look, there's still more (laughs) to learn and absorb. Absolutely. So, all right, Sister Kathy, um, any comments you'd like to give us? Yes, this is one of my favorite, favorite programs. I've been watching it for years and encouraged many that I saw for y'all to watch. And um, they're just exemplary. I love them, love them. Well, I'm going to go there. Somehow you didn't exhort me, I don't think. Did you ever tell me to go there? I did, but Uh-oh. you were busy. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you were God's very t- busy. here's God's time. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, Gigi and Randy, let me get the mute off. Okay. That was excellent. It was very, very interesting. Uh, you're very Thank ex- you for showing me. Yeah, very exhorting. That was like this show, the two shows, the two shows, um, uh, very exhorting and to see the power of God where uh, it was see the, the gospel affected a huge percentage of the people. When you get 30,000 people at a meeting, uh, I don't know the size of Philadelphia then, but that would be a huge percentage of the city, you know. So it, it was really affecting a lot of people and spreading. It would spread. And that's, that's what we want today is like, huge number of people coming to the Lord, but them sharing like that, that 10 year old girl did. And she, she won a man to the Lord who won 50. That's what you want. You want it to spread out. The power of God is, 
is on you and you you want to tell others and but that's what we're looking for that all the great revivals had that in them every every great revival it was like a revivalist there or and then the people would be filled with the spirit then they would go out okay Gigi? i really yes i like the i like the description of him being on his knees and reading the bible oh 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 I wanted to tell you something. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, one of what Whitfield used to do, and I don't know how regularly he did it, but he would go out around midnight, out in the night, and he'd have uh, people with him, and he'd be on his knees, look, crying out to the Lord for the blessed hope. Really? Yes. Yes. For sure, that's true. Well, at least as it was reported that I read it. Yes. Yeah, he lived with the blessed hope. That's wonderful. If you if you find that somewhere, can you post that, please, on the blog? <laughs> sure. I'll, I'll try and do a little research on it and, and see. I mean, when I read about him, that was uh, 30 years ago. Yes, that was yeah. That was excellent. And then when I, my headquarters, when I was in Philadelphia, I worked in Harrisburg, but my headquarters was, um, when I worked in Pennsylvania, Harrisburg was my office, but I, I worked out of Philadelphia. So pretty close to the uh, headquarters was a Holiday Inn. So I used to stay at that Holiday Inn quite often, and then I could walk uh, to the office. So I would always go out the front door of the Holiday Inn and go a certain way, the closest way to go. But one time, for whatever reason, I came home, but not home, I came to the hotel the other way, and I noticed there was a big bronze plaque and there was on, on, the, on the building, on the, on the hotel building, and there were bushes around it, but the bushes were cleared in front of the plaque. So it caught my eye and I walked over and here I'm paraphrasing, of course, and it said, at this location, uh, the great evangelist George Whitfield held his uh, revivals in um, Philadelphia. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I got a kick out of that. That's very cool. Yeah, I like that. It's fascinating, you know, when you look at those things, they're so encouraging to see the the state of where we were as a nation. And then you have people prompted by God yeah. to go and do what he's called them to do. And that's very, very encouraging because sometimes you feel the the weight of sin in our country. And you think, okay, can I really do anything? But we can, especially when we do it together. Yeah. Well, well, so I think thank you for it, trying to impart that to us. Well, thank you. Yes. And uh, what I was obvious, but I didn't really put it together till I watched that video. Um, it wasn't the Baptist Church that unified America, or the any other church. It was a living relationship with the Lord. It was so powerful in the country 
that's the Christianity that united from New England down to Georgia at that time. So it, it wasn't like uh, the Church of England in Great Britain or the Catholic Church in France. It was real believers in the Lord that was the unifying force. And that's throughout history, as throughout our history, is what made America different than other countries. I could see yeah. it clearly. See, I saw it clearly from watching that video. It was real Christianity, oh. not not a denomination or a state church like the Lutheran Church in Germany and the uh, Church of England, and that 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 was not here. Which it, is in, which is incredible when you think about it. So we we can still pray Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When we go to pray, you could uh, pray pray thirteen and four. Uh, 14, right? Read 13 and 14, okay? Okay. All, all right. We have Rita. Rita, any, yes, Gigi. Rita, any comments? Oh, I was just so impressed with the, with the, with the man, with Whitfield, that he was God-filled. He was Holy Spirit-filled. And, uh, and then you look at what we, where we are now in America, and we're, they were back then in those days. You wonder if we could get to that point again. To what point? Uh, to the point to where we're turning to the country is turning to the Lord God. Yeah, it's a remnant. It's always a remnant. That's what. That's where faith comes in. We can't look at the condition. Well, of course we can look, but we can't look at the condition of the country and say we're lost, it's too bad, it can't come back. Uh, because if we do that, it won't come back. But if the remnant has faith and they call on the Lord and say, Lord, we can't stand this with the homosexuals prancing uh, like they're doing and coming after the kids, and we can't stand uh, the killing of the babies and the mocking of you and all uh and we need a great move of you. We need a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, that that's what the remnant is to do. It's the remnant that does that. There's, I don't know why, but let's say there's a hundred people in a church and they're all believers. Uh, there's still a remnant there that will uh, call out to the Lord, that will be praying fervently and all. And the others, they believe in the Lord, but for whatever reason, they don't do that. Uh, but there is a, God always has kept a remnant, always. So it's up to the remnant to say, Lord, we've had enough. We need a great outpouring. We, this can't be dealt with politically. This can't be dealt with socially or education. We need a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do. Yeah. And we go by faith. Lord, you sent great outpourings in the past. We need another one, Lord, desperately. We need it desperately, Lord. Yes, Father, we do. Okay. And then we have Sharon here. That was okay. That was very good, that uh, second video, too. And um, I like how it said that at the end, he said that well, you can 
keep looking and you think you found everything, but then you look a little bit more and you realize that there's a, a whole lot more to look for and stuff. And uh, I, that kind of reminds me of uh, Sister Kathy with her uh, adventures to uh, document everything that's going yeah. on around her yeah. area yeah. and the churches and all that. And because Kathy's very, very busy about that stuff. And uh, how many of us just sit back and say, oh, well, okay. And um, I just really enjoy learning from these videos. But like that guy said, there's a whole lot more out there. Yeah, I'm going to go to that site and see what other videos. I mean, if they produce videos like that, they have more like that. I mean, I might, we'll try and get all of them about the outpouring. Yeah, but that that was absolutely well done, and I mean we can go to into other areas also. I want to find out more about that uh, that site. That was excellent, excellent, excellent. I do want to also do uh, about the Welsh revival. I want to yeah. uh, pick up about the Welsh revival, and uh, I am going to. I haven't said anything to Pastor Zephaniah yet, but he mentioned. Uh, here, let me let me get his emails. You might be interested in hearing. Um, I think, yeah. Let me get um, his emails. Okay. Um, let's see. Um, all right. This is from him, the twenty fifth. Uh, I thank God I was able to get to Uganda, and the Lord is doing great work. I met with the academic dean of Uganda Baptist University and delivered 10,000 copies of the materials. And school senate is going to sit and discuss how they will produce more copies at their cost. They will be sending us updates inclusive of photos from the school and that's how we agreed they're going to help us spread the material the whole of Africa. Ooh, I love that. That that reminds me of what McCready said. We want to save, Lord, we want a great outpouring for the saving the sinners of Logan County. And by the way, Lord, the whole world. And that's 1800. God has remembered Abba Father International Fellowship. There's a lot of work here in Africa, and we want to start preaching online with you. It's a request from all pastors. Wow, we. Next week, we'll be going to preach in Momenus, the most populated Muslim area. Let us get ready for the gospel and distributing materials to the whole of East Africa. I will send more updates. I will send receipts. Wow. Oh, man. Lord, that, it's even better when I read it the second time. Wow. We thank you, Lord. Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. And, uh, okay, let me see. He sent more. The final battle over Jerusalem and the second coming of Jesus Christ. We invite you to join for revival coming to I, I can't follow him here. East online preaching. 
Oh, he's sending out an email to to preachers here, the people on the mailing his mailing list. We'll be preaching at four thirty to six thirty East African time. More than five hundred pastors will be attending the revival there. There will be a service of praying for the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love it. And to keep fire burning. <laughs> oh. Now listen to this. This happened in 1930 in East Africa. Now God has sent his servant to bring revival again in East Africa. Keep praying for financial breakthrough and many people will come to Christ. We will be Oh, we will be in the most populated area of Muslims. Pray for safety and means of transportation. God bless you for your prayers. Together we can, in unity is power. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 2, and 3, when he was in jail in Rome. God bless you all. Pastor Zephaniah. Um, there's some more. Uh, okay, the, the rest of them is just they're talking about traveling and bringing speakers with them and things like that. So that's coming uh, this coming weekend. That'll be taking place. So uh, this coming weekend, it will be um, two two baptisms in Pakistan, and then uh, two outpourings of the Holy Spirit there in prophecy preaching in uh in uh kenya so sister kathy is that busy is that busy enough or what yeah i think that is what we call every iron in the fire that you have <laughs> no i i can throw a couple more in <laughs> <laughs> and you will i guarantee it and they were edified oh, yeah. they were edified this morning at my shalom. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, it is were, amazing. Yeah. When I was leaving, the uh, pastor was leaving, and uh, he brings his dog, not to the service, but he brings it to church, keeps it in the room. Um, the dog gets separation anxiety. So he brings wow. it. And uh, so he had the dog, and I was petting it. Nancy, we were petting it. So I walked on and uh, he, he hollered. He said, John. And I turned around and said, that was a great testimony. I think. They needed it in that church. They needed it. So, all right. Um, anybody, is there anyone else out there that would like to uh, call in here? 717-409-5553. Otherwise, um, we, I, we don't want to go without praying. So, Sister Sharon, would you lead us in prayer, and we'll give everybody a chance here. Okay, I sure will. Um, Dear Father God, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for being able to be here with Abba Father International uh, and all of the people that come to watch, all the people that come to give testimony, and all the people who come to pray. And yes, dear Father God, we know that we need to pray ourselves. And it is so interesting to hear about the revivals of uh, gone past here in the United States and of these uh, great men who 
uh, got the revivals going and stuff and just uh, kept it going too. And dear Father God, we know that what we do for you is the most important thing that we can do in our lives. And that is to bring others to know about you, to plant those seeds, to watch those, uh, uh, the, enrichment and people grow to watch the flame and the fire uh, uh, grow with people as they become more and more aware of what you've done for them and that other people can see the bright light that is shining uh, out of people who have been saved and I just am so thankful that we can see that light and that we can explain to people why we are so happy and why we uh, do come to these programs every night and in the mornings and stuff and why we get uh, our Bibles out and stuff. And we we read our Bibles. We uh, do everything we can to spread the word about you and to hear more about you to ourselves. And I just thank you, dear Father God, uh, for Chaplain John, for all that he's doing in his area. And who knew that when he moved to Texas, that this would just be the way this is, take off like a, just like a, a bombshell. I mean, just something wonderful. This has been going on with Chaplain John and his ministry of a father international. He's gained more and more support, uh, through the time and stuff and more, more, I would have to say more respect to that uh, people are looking forward to hearing from him. And uh, we are also uh, looking forward to hearing from him. And I just pray to God that anybody who comes to hear Chaplain John or to hear the studies, that they just feel that they are part of the revival too, that we all are part of the revival and we all need the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be touched by the Holy Spirit, dear Father God. And we just thank you for giving that uh, to us, dear Father, and that we can just all be pleased and happy with uh, knowing that someday soon, and we do pray soon, that we will be with you. and we will all be raptured out of here. And so it's just going to be a wonderful, blessed day when that happens. And in your name I do pray. Amen. 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 Okay. And now we have uh, uh, Rita. Okay. Um, Father, I give you thanks that you answer our prayers. And our hope is in you, Father. I pray for all the Abba Father Fellowship pastors that you would encourage and protect them and help them financially and with transportation. Father, I pray that you would guide and direct Chaplain John in his preparation of the Hebrew calendars brochure. Bless the brochures that many will come to the saving knowledge of your son, Father. I pray this in the name of my Lord, my Savior, my God, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 All right. And let's see who we have next. Uh, Kathy, Sister Kathy. Okay. Um, first of all, um, 
it's been like 15 years that I wanted to do videos, but it wasn't so much like the documentaries of the older church. But um, that evolved because of Revival Radio TV programs, and they've been going on for five or six years. And um, because of them, my focus changed to, because it said, redig the wells of revival in your area. And that's when I did the research in um, 2022 about when Pentecostal churches first came to our county. And um, it is uh, very interesting because last Sunday, there was a man that came to the house that I told about the Lorenzo Dow documentary. And at that point, I realized that it was such a blessing to be able to point somebody to something that they could find the Lord in, come to salvation. So it is very, very important to research where your community has been in the move of God. And boy, what a seedbed you have there in Houston. And also we have a new person in the chat and it's eyes of a lady is the um, name of the person. So I don't know who it is, but it's um, I think their first time. So Lord, we just thank you so much for what you've done in spurring people on to redig the wells of, of salvation like you told Isaac to do of Jacob's that had gotten clogged up and filled in by enemies and just neglect. So we thank you, Father, that that they can be redug, they can be uh, reignited for flowing freely, and that's what we're trying to do. Thank you so much for the people that came before us the memorials that they left, the testimonies that they left, the lives they lived that we can all these years later still read John Wesley and Charles Wesley's journals, George Whitfield's journals, the Moravians' journals. It is so important to go back and read from their very words penned by their very hand the details of their life experiences. It is so amazing. I thank you for people like the the Countess Huntingdon, Lady uh, Selena Hastings, that fueled the fire of Bethesda Orphanage and what a testimony that was. So, Father, we just thank you for having the children of Israel pull out one stone from each tribe to say what mean these stones and then give the testimony of what it did mean that God opened the Jordan River and they walked across it dry shod. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And bless Chaplain John, thank you for the wellspring in, in the continent of Africa and oh yes, Oh, yes, oh, yes, you are doing amazing things, and we love you, and we're so thankful to be part of it. Bless everyone in this ministry. Bless everyone that is fanning the flames of revival, stirring the flames of revival 
invoking the need of uh, revival and awakening. And we thank you that you're doing it. You're pouring out your spirit without measure. You're great and greatly to be praised. And then the end will come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. And Sister Kathy, what's very interesting is in all these years I've been dealing with Zephaniah, this is the first time I've heard him mention that there was a move of the Lord in East Africa ever. I had no idea. He said 1930, so I want to find out more about it. Yeah, that would be very interesting. It was oh, like, yes, it was yes, like, yes. like shocking to me. Mm-hmm. That he uh, that he he mentioned um, that in the email. Yeah, it was a shock to me too, and I'm like, wow, super deal. Now I know that there have been outpourings of the Holy Spirit throughout history in different places in the world. I know mm-hmm. that they've been in Africa. I know they they've been in uh, South America. They've been in Europe. There, uh, they've been in Asia. Uh, but it's never the reason America's unique is um, we've had it for like this pattern and so many in our short history. Uh, that's why we're, we're unique. God has had his hand on the nation. And even though this sin is awful now, we can't we can't give up. We can't. We have to keep crying out to him. Because I do believe he's going to do it. And he, there is this little, this that thing in um, college in Kentucky, apparently that's still going. And then there's been others in colleges. There's been some churches that have had real moves of the Lord. So now the, the, it's up to the remnant to keep praying that the Lord is going to send another great out one out, outpouring that will show, shake the nation and go out and shake the world. Amen. Amen. Okay, I think the last one here, let me go take a look, is uh, Gigi and Randy. Would you like to lead us in prayer? Yes, I did want to say I had looked up the um, the outpouring in Kenya. Yes. And it, it was from September. It's I can't really do it on my phone very well, but... It was from September to October 1927, and the person's name is Chilson, C-H-I-L-S-O-N, and he held several several gatherings in Kaimosi where he preached. And it's interesting. I can't get in. There's a very good website that's a missionary website, but it won't let me in there for some odd reason. But it's called The Overlooked Revival. The East yeah. African revival was a mighty move of God. So there's that's, ex- that's, that's exactly there. What I just that's can't exactly open the pages. That's exactly what I'm looking for. Exactly. Yeah, and it also so says. I'm sorry. Hold on. Yes, Sister Kathy. It also says that um, the East African revival was the Christian conversion movement that began in an Anglican mission station in northern Rwanda in the mid-1930s and spread throughout Eastern and Central Africa during the 1940s and 50s. And it said no one is um, in that. It said no event that marked it, but a Simeon Nisiambi was uh, one of the key initiators. And um, 
he learned and taught in the church in Kampala. And um, also, he was in um, Gahini, Rwanda. So there was a long, long experience of that from the yeah. third, well, like Gigi said, 27 yeah. to, to the 50s. So it's yeah. going to be very interesting. Um, absolutely. You mentioned, uh, what did you mention about those, name those two cities you mentioned? Well, it was, um, um, oh goodness. Um, one was in Gahini, Gahini and Rwanda right. and, um, Kampala, Uganda. Yeah. Kampala. But, that, that, yes. That's yeah. the capital of Uganda. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's maybe that Baptist college in Rwanda and uh, Uganda might be uh, from that outpouring at that time, the move of the Lord. I think, I think it is. I really, really do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the uh, edification of all these wonderful things we're learning, Lord, about the past and uh we're gonna we'll learn lord please lead us into what you did to africa and what you've done in asia and what you've done lord in in europe and all over lord so we'd love to learn about the, the outpouring of the holy spirit so lord uh we're, we here believe uh, that if we call on you in jesus name abba father that you obviously hear our prayers and we're asking for one more lord as we look at time before uh, christ comes for us there's room for one more lord you may be doing things during the tribulation period also but there's one more here now for you before we go to you come for us so we're asking for that lord thank you thank you thank you lord one more great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, just like you spent in the past, Lord. Lord, thank you for a man like Whitfield, Lord. From He was a force of like nature for you. Thank you for him, Lord. And may, may you raise up uh, many more Whitfields today, Lord, uh, in the hour we live in. A massive move of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you and thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Okay, um, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to um, do the outpouring, the crying out to the Lord prayer, and then we'll close. Oh, John? And, yes, hello. Yeah, someone. John? Yes. Would it, be, would it be okay if I read the Second Chronicles scripture? Oh, yes. I asked you to do that. Go ahead, please. Okay, now you want me to read 13 and 14? Yes. Okay, so this is about Solomon, the Lord's promise to Solomon in Second Chronicles 7. And this is the Lord speaking. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and this is 14, if my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin 
and will heal their land. Yeah, you see, you need 13 to connect with 14 about healing the land, and that. that's why I asked right. you to read it. Okay, may I pray one more thing? Oh, you certainly can. Okay. So I, I think I said this on Friday night, I'm not sure, where I felt suddenly convicted. Here we are praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? And, <laughs> excuse me. And suddenly I thought, why haven't I been praying for us even individually to have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? And so that's what I've started to do for all of us. And so if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and pray that. Sure. Absolutely. Okay. It has to start someplace. <laughs> Let it start with us, Lord. So, Lord, first of all, we want to glorify your name. We want to lift your name on high. We want to thank you that you are our Father, that you love us, that you call us your children, that you have adopted us. And, Lord, we want to give you glory. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We're, we love your word and everything that's in your word. It says your word is not going to pass away. So we just thank you for that. And, Lord, we are praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit a long time, and it's happening in Kenya and now all across Africa. So we continue to pray for that. And we bless those pastors, and we bless pastors of Aniah. He is really pivotal in in pursuing what he knows he is being called to. And we praise you, and we thank you. We pray protection over all of them, everyone involved there, and that there would be a huge outpouring and a huge harvest that comes in. And we pray that you protect him. Protect all those pastors, Lord. And we also, I just also want to appeal to you, Lord, that we, each one of us that's part of the ministry here praying that we all need individual outpourings of the Holy Spirit so that we can preach the gospel and so that we can spread the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we pray that, that you would help us to recognize when someone is in our path, that you put them there. And we also pray that you, you have said that the, the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. Please send us, Lord. Please bring yes, us Lord. the people that yes, we need Lord. to speak to. And help us to recognize that that's the person. And um, so I just, I just want to thank you in advance for all the things you're doing. I want to bless Chaplain John, and everything that he's doing, give him good direction. We continue to pray over the pamphlet, not the pamphlet, the teaching on the Hebrew calendar. And we've been praying for the other, the other writings that he's done. And you have been so faithful to show him what he needs to include and what he doesn't need to include. And that we see how quickly this one has produced a harvest and I am convicted it's because time is short. And so we, we want to see him be able to complete this quickly and that your spirit would go forth um, as he's writing it and go forth after he's writing it 
and that it would go forth and produce a harvest, Lord. So I just want to thank you and praise you for all of these people that have meant so much to Randy and to me and to each one of us to be persistent in prayer. And I want to thank you for each and every one of them. I want to pray a blessing over them in the mighty name of Jesus. And we thank you, Lord. We just thank you that we know your name. We know who you are. It's very clear to us. And we're looking forward to your soon return. And we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Right on. Right on. Good prayer. Excellent. Okay. Hang on with me. Cry unto the Lord Prayer Covenant. Abba Father, we come before you in the precious name of the Lord Jesus, understanding the hour in which we live. We see the day of the Lord approaching, and we are crying out to you according to your word. We cry out in repentance for our sins and the sins of our nations. We cry out for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We realize that the time is short before the Lord Jesus comes for his bride. But according to your word, the outpouring of the Spirit will continue until he comes. We are humble before you with the manifest sins of our nations, recognizing how this offends your holiness. By faith, we ask for one more outpouring of the Holy Spirit, both to win untold numbers of souls to the Lord Jesus and to hold back the terrible spirit of Antichrist. With this mighty outpouring, we ask for the healing of the brokenhearted, the opening of prison to them that are bound, and the setting at liberty to them that are bruised. Abba, free us completely from the spirit of bondage and fear, and fill us with power, love, and a sound mind. Free us completely from unbelief, and have us grow mighty in faith to please you. In the past, you sent many great outpourings of the Holy Spirit, and we are asking our Abba for one more before the groom comes for his bride. The church was birthed with the power of the Holy Spirit. We want to go with you in that same power. The great outpouring first came to Jerusalem. We beseech you for another great outpouring of your spirit upon your people Israel, like you first sent 2,000 years ago. Abba Father, we love you as little children and believe the word with the same faith as children. We know when we ask our Abba that he hears us. Father, as the end grows near, it is like the days of Noah. To protect us from the wicked one and from the love of the world, we come under the power and authority of your word and your name. We are going close to you for protection and asking that you heal all the broken hearts of your people along with freeing us from bondage so the bride is ready for the groom. Amen. Amen. Lord willing, we'll see you tomorrow night. God bless you. Oh God of burning, cleansing flame, send the fire, your blood-bought gift, today we claim, send the fire today. Oh God of Elijah, hear our cry.